BlueShare.org podcast coming your way, guys. Another Q&A episode. This is episode 279. We're steamrolling to 300. Steve Smee here. I got Rick in the house. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? Guys, we have another great Q&A. We have six excellent topics, so let's jump right into it. The first one is a member. He wants to know. He's conflicted. He's running a cycle of testosterone and primo. He wants to know about kickstarting his cycle with an oral. And his question basically is, what should he do? Should he kickstart his cycle or should he not? So first off, let me just say, kickstarting cycles is not something new. Guys have been talking about kickstarting cycles for many, many years. And really the premise behind it is you're running these long estrogen steroids and you wanna run an oral, which which is really quick to peak in the body. Um, like Dianable, for example, it's got about a five hour half-life. So pretty much within a few days, the stuff is gonna be peaking in your system. So you're gonna get some, some right away, you're gonna get some, some results on it much quicker than you would on a long ester injectable, which takes time to slowly build up. Even though it's gonna work right away, it's not gonna peak for several weeks into a cycle. So you run that kickstart to kind of give your cycle a little boost up front. And then by the time the kickstart is done, your long esters are peaking. So that's the premise behind it, guys. It's not really rocket science. We see it, see this, you know, guys have been doing this for, for forever. And um, I, I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. Um, what I like, um, I've used D-Ball as a kickstart. I've used T-Ball as a kickstart. I've used Anabar. I've used Anadrol, um, very, very potent. I've used Winstrol. So I've used all the orals. It just depends on what your goals are, guys. So the different orals are going to have different goals that correlate to your cycle. I'm not a fan of running a high dosage of, of a kickstart, though. That is one thing I will not agree with. So run a low dosage of a kickstart. You don't want to jump into having side effects the first couple weeks of a cycle. That doesn't make any sense. So I don't believe in that, but I have no problem with running a Kickstarter. I've, I see nothing, even if it's your first cycle. How about you, Rick? Do you like to do Kickstarts? I've done many Kickstarts in my day, but today I just don't mess with orals uh, like I used to. But that's a pretty boring answer. I want to help people out there that want to do Kickstarts. So here's, here's what I would say. Um, find something you can confidently get that's legit. My main choices for kickstarting a testosterone premobile cycle would be Terinabol, um, Dianabol, maybe some Anavar, but I think between Terinabol and Dianabol would be my two kickstart options. Which one would I use? Well, what am I looking for? You know, am I looking to get like drier, leaner? Then I guess the Terinabol can help me out. It'll just make my diet and the water retention situation a lot smoother. I'm looking for like strength and just some bulk. I'd go with the Dianable. Like I've said before on, on the Dianable podcast, uh, 274 was Dianable that we did, Steve? Um, I don't remember offhand, but I think it was 274. I think it was the first one we did, yeah. So podcast 274, Dianable, go back. Um, I've said run it without an AI, just run a low amount so you don't have a lot of estrogen side effects. And if you're worried about gynecomastia, just use tamoxifen, Novodex, which will specifically fight that specific side effect. Don't crush your estrogen with AIs if you're gonna use Dianabol. If you're worried about a little bit of water retention, if you're worried about 
estrogen, getting high on the animal, just go to turinable. Those would be my two options for a testosterone primobolin cycle. Or ideally, and again, going back to what I said earlier, testosterone is back. Um, another thing is, remember guys, you're taking orals. I recommend everybody who is going to take an oral to take a Tutka and milk thistle with your cycle. I personally use my Entugard product, Entugard from uh, N2BM, but you don't have to buy my brand. You can just get yourself some good quality Tutka, some good quality milk thistle, and make sure you don't take them too close to you taking your orals because there can be some interaction there. At least if you, if you pick up my brand, if you pick up Entugard, you want to make sure not to take it too close to the time you're taking your orals so that they don't uh, become deactivated too quickly. You want to make sure that there's a, a one-hour window in between taking your orals and taking Entugard. So pretty, pretty easy to do because you want to take most orals on as empty as the stomach as you can, and you want to take your Entugard with meals. Um, so you can take all the Entugard with breakfast, if you like, or with lunch, and just leave the rest of the time to take your orals throughout the day. But yeah, definitely. If you're going to have some orals, you want to make sure to have some liver protection, guys. It's a pretty important part of your cycle. Yeah, what I do when I'm doing a kickstart, I run seven capsules a day of the N2 Guard, and that keeps my liver very, very healthy. It's great for all my organs, my heart, my liver, all really all the organs, the kidneys, et cetera, et cetera. The way I recommend running a kickstart, three to six weeks, it just depends on what you're running. If you're running a harsher oral, you know, err on the side of caution. If you're running a more mild oral, you can go a little longer. Um, I would not exceed eight weeks on that kickstart. So on a typical cycle, say 12 to 14 week cycle, go three to six weeks on your kickstart and that will be ample. I don't see any reason why you should exceed that. An example of Dianable, I think on a kickstart, 10 to 20 milligrams of Dianable a day. T-Bowl, maybe 30 milligrams a day of T-Bowl. Anavar, um, you can go as high as maybe 40, 50 milligrams a day of Anavar, but really you can go as low as 30. If you're running something like Anadrol, I wouldn't exceed 25 milligrams. Um, 50 milligrams is a little, little on the harsh side. Same thing with Winstrol. I, or on the side of caution, 25 milligrams would be the dosage that I would do for that kickstart. And keep an eye, guys, on your liver before you run your cycle. Make sure you're running blood work. If you have liver issues, then you probably don't want to run an oral because that will not be good for your liver. So make sure your liver is healthy first. If you find out your liver is a little ele elevated, run the N2 guard. Run, run a bottle of the N2 guard for 30 days and retest your liver and see if you can get your liver values back in order. And obviously you don't want to consume alcohol. And speaking of alcohol, that's going to be our next topic. So is it okay to drink alcohol on cycle? So something really fascinating about alcohol that a lot of you don't know because the alcohol industry spends, you know, millions and millions of dollars convincing people that alcohol is healthy. But if you guys do a little research, you'll find out that alcohol is actually a group one carcinogen. So it actually increases your chances of cancer. And I've always been fascinated with people that I know that drink a lot. Um, pretty much every person that I know over the years that has drank a lot has ended up getting cancer. And cancer is caused by many, many things, guys. I'm not just blaming alcohol for it, but alcohol definitely makes it worse since it is a carcinogen. So let me go over some of these facts for you about alcohol. Not to mention the interactions it has with steroids, but let's go over some of these facts. So when you consume alcohol, you break down the ethanol in alcohol drinks to something called acetaldehyde. 
acetaldehyde, and it's that's a toxic chemical in a probable human carcinogen. It can damage both DNA, which is the genetic material that makes up genes and proteins. It generates reactive oxygen species, which can damage DNA proteins and lipid fats in the body through a process called oxidation. It impairs the ability, the body's ability to break down and absorb a variety of nutrients that may be associated with cancer risk, like vitamin A, vitamin B, folate, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, carotenoids. So if you are having that issue, that can lead to actually low testosterone levels because you need those vitamins and minerals to produce testosterone. And finally, this is where it ties into steroid use as well, increases the blood levels of estrogen, which is a sex hormone, which is linked to the risk of breast cancer, especially in women, men can get breast cancer, but obviously a lot of women get breast cancer because of estrogen. And that's why you know anyone who's had breast cancer, the doctor will put them on something that blocks estrogen, like for example, Novodex. They'll put them on that for like five years after cancer to keep the estrogen down. But the doctor may not tell them, hey, you gotta stop drinking alcohol because that alcohol contributed to your breast cancer. So we actually see 20% a breast cancer, um, women with breast cancer actually link that, that cancer to alcohol consumption. And in men, we open ourselves to a variety of, of cancers like head and neck cancer, liver cancer, um, and other cancers of the throat area and, and of the stomach. So that's, that's not good guys. I mean, we, we talk about not putting bad things in our body all the time, but don't make the mistake of thinking that alcohol is healthy just because the uh, liquor industry and the beer industry wants to push that, that alcohol one drink a day is healthy. And if you actually read this information, even one drink a day will contribute to cancer and other problems. So don't think that one drink a day is okay. You really should be cutting out uh, alcohol entirely. And then when you mix alcohol with steroids, you're creating it's like lighting a match to the fire. Um, it's like dumping gasoline on a fire. Let me, let me correct that little cliche. But it, it does because it's actually going to strain your liver further. It's going to strain your body. It's going to prevent your body from recovering and repairing. It's going to hurt your ability to, to build muscle. It's going to hurt your ability to absorb nutrients. It's just all around not a good thing, guys. So the best thing you can do is drink as little as possible, guys. Um, you know, and I understand a lot of people like to drink or whatever, but really zero is best. I don't drink alcohol. I haven't drank alcohol in 12 years and I'm definitely much, much healthier because of it. I used to drink a lot of alcohol though in my early twenties and I was not healthy. So I can tell you from personal experience, it's made a difference just quitting alcohol. Yes, Steve, you're right. It's just not a good thing to do. Um, now it's not a good thing to do. It's not the right thing to do um, to drink alcohol while on your cycle or just drink alcohol, period. But if you're going to do it, you would be the only guidelines. One, don't have any alcohol if you're on an oral. Just using oral steroids that affect your liver along with alcohol, it's not a good idea at all. So if you were to have a, a drink, you'd want to make sure you've, you're not on any orals. Or you finished the orals a couple weeks ago and, and you've taken some proper liver support and you're good. And if you do drink on cycle, it has to be very moderate. Two, three, four drinks at, at most. Wouldn't go any, I wouldn't go any further than that. It's one of the reasons in 
a previous podcast, I, I said one of the first things you want to do when you start your cycle is plan out your schedule, see what the next few weeks look like. Make sure you're not going to be in a situation where you are going to be tempted to drink socially or, or whatever, right? So you want to make sure that while you're on your cycle, they're not interfering with your recovery, adding additional toxicity to your body, and just doing additional unhealthy things on top of a steroid cycle, which is already unhealthy in itself, right? And what Steve said is, yeah, you don't want to add more carcinogens to your body. Steroids, you already have something in you that could, that could cause cancer long-term. There are a lot of androgen-dependent cancers that will grow when you inject these hormones that maybe otherwise wouldn't grow if your testosterone levels were just at normal level. You add alcohol on top of that or smoking a cigar, nicotine here and there, you're just adding a bunch of carcinogens to your body at the same time. And these lifestyles are, are, are contradictory. They're not in sync. You know, the drinking and nicotine and kind of party lifestyle, it's just contradictive to our healthy lifestyle of getting into bed early, getting up early, and, you know, doing useful things with, with our days instead of just being, you know, hung the fuck over and, and feeling like shit. So definitely not a, it's just a contradiction. I think if you have to ask, if you have to go on a forum and ask if you can drink alcohol with steroids, you probably should address your, your alcohol issues before getting on cycle. Because really, if, if you're really on like an eight to 12 week cycle, and you find yourself needing to drink socially more than once or twice in that three-month period, then there's some core lifestyle issues you need to deal with. You shouldn't have uh, drinking come up socially in your surroundings that many times during your cycle. You need to maybe stick with friends that don't like drinking and try to set yourself up with buddies and people to do some activities in the early mornings on the weekends so you're not tempted to, to hang out with the wrong people and, and go out and, and indulge in alcohol when you've got a bunch of chemicals flowing through your body that just don't sync well with alcohol. There was actually a study done on physical harm and dependence. I don't know if you saw that, Rick, but it's actually a chart you can pull up. And believe it or not, to, um, alcohol is almost as addicting as tobacco. And it's actually pretty much in line. It's more addictive than, than stuff like um, benzos or LSD or or weed, or ecstasy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty, pretty fucking addictive. It's one of the few withdrawals you can die from. Alcohol is one of the few withdrawals you can actually die during withdrawal, alcohol withdrawal. Not, not like that with opiates or, or other, you know, other drugs, but you can die from withdrawing of alcohol. It's incredible. And guys, um, I've always been fascinated by the whole beer thing because all beer is is just – grains barley and water mixed in a can and people drink it like it's i don't i don't even understand it i've never felt i've never thought beer tasted good i always thought it tasted like shit maybe like a smirnoff or something that was like a malt type of beer like that's more sweet i mean i used to drink that in my early 20s i never thought beer was good so but what happens is you start drinking it you start drinking it and like rick said you get addicted to it and you start having withdrawals and now you want beer. So that one beer a night turns into two beers a night, turns into a half pack, a half pack, a full pack, et cetera, et cetera. And there are people that drink like a pack of beer a day. 
And the whole beer belly thing is a real thing because really there's nothing in beer that's healthy for you. It's just, like I said, it's barley and oats and stuff, but it's like processed. It's processed garbage and it's just going into your stomach and it's just going to your gut and building your gut. So there's absolutely no place in fitness, guys. So wean yourself off of this shit and you will do yourself the biggest favor. Your results will be so much better. And I get it, okay? You might have a friend who's a big jock and he drinks beer and he drinks alcohol and he's still ripped. He would be even more ripped if he didn't drink alcohol and he would be more healthy if he didn't drink alcohol. So that is for sure, guys. And if you are like a steroid user that likes to have some alcohol here and there, it's just part of your lifestyle for whatever reason, um, switch from beer over to maybe whiskey. Good, good, uh, good whiskey might be the best option. If you're just looking for an alcohol delivery method, whiskey might be the lesser of, of the evils out there. And again, you just, you got to understand that it's, it's an alcohol delivery method. You're not really enjoying the taste of beer. You're not really enjoying the taste of these spirits. You're just finding a way to deliver alcohol because of the way it makes you feel when you're, when you're on it. And look, I can understand. I suffered with anxiety for many years and I just roughed it out. But I noticed if I had a beer or two, it would just calm the anxiety down. It was real scary. And I realized how people can quickly get addicted to alcohol if they have a lot of internal issues because it'll take some of that fear away. I mean, it makes you feel different. So going back to it, look, idea is if you're a steroid user, you shouldn't be a drinker. Those two lifestyles do not align. There is no yin and yang in those two. If you're going to drink socially a couple of times a month, just don't use steroids. Hit the gym here and there, do some natural products. Just don't use steroids. It's not for you. It's not the lifestyle that, that you really want to pursue. So this leads us into our next one about recreational drugs. Again, um, I can point to this chart, dependence and physical harm. Heroin off the charts. I mean, it's off the charts, physical harm and dependence. I mean, heroin's off the charts. Cocaine would be next. Then you got the street methadone and you got barbiturates, which would be the next class. And then you got the alcohol, tobacco in, in that order. Actually, tobacco is going to be more addictive but alcohol is actually more harmful to you than, than tobacco. You got the amphetamines, the ketamine, um, you've got the opiates, and then the lesser of the evils are the cannabis, which is the weed, the ecstasy. Um, and then anabolic steroids is actually the least dependent, which I wouldn't even consider it a drug. It's more of a hormone. But with anabolic steroids, it causes physical harm because it's to your reproductive system and to some of your organs. So that's where the physical harm for anabolic steroids comes from. But these other things are going to cause much more damage to you than steroids. So steroids is the bottom of the peak. So these recreational drugs are way, way above steroids when it comes to dependence and physical harm. So, you know, um, unfortunately, there are people in the fitness industry, Rick, who are into partying. So part, sometimes some, there's a segment of it that's a party lifestyle. We saw that with Zizzy. He was all about, you know, showing off his body to women, shirtless in clubs, partying, taking all kinds of drugs, ecstasy, fucking random chicks. Tell us a little bit about that, Rick. Um, you've been around the world, I'm sure. Yeah, well, um, yeah, definitely those lifestyles do not align. But there are people out there that are 
competitive bodybuilders, steroid users, some high-level athletes that party pretty hard with some drugs. And there is a, a really a, a real misconception among steroid users that like the only drug you have to stay away from is alcohol because it messes with, with your liver because the way it's processed through your body, it smashes right into the way steroids are processed through your body, right through that liver. So a lot of guys think that you can not drink the alcohol, but you can do E and Coke and opiates and all this other stuff and, and you're kind of fine because it, does, it doesn't strain the liver as much as, as alcohol does, blah, blah. Well, look, got some news for you guys. When it comes to cocaine or some of these other stimulants, amphetamines and stuff, they're going to mess with your heart. You know, that you have a, especially if you're like taking like cocaine or some of these amphetamines and then going out dancing or having sex or doing anything that kind of, that gets your heart rhythm going, you've got these drugs in you and now you're bringing up your heart rate. It's just not a good recipe. They're not doing anything nice there to your heart tissue. So that you have to be aware of. Opiates, unfortunately, opiates and steroids have gone hand in hand for a lot of folks. A lot of professional athletes have been on opiates and steroids at the same time. Look, there's an old documentary about a MMA fighter, Mark Kerr. The Smashing Machine is the name of the documentary. In this documentary, you follow a guy who is just smashing people in the ring over in Japan, MMA, and he was addicted to opiates the whole time through. So opiates are probably one of the most addictive and, and hardest drugs to kick. And it's quite unfortunate that a lot of bodybuilders will use opiates and give themselves the excuse that they're using it for some kind of joint pain, which is not, it's not legitimate. But opiates might have the lesser physical interaction maybe with, with steroids, but they're so addictive, you know, you're going to have real issues with it. And eventually they'll take over your lifestyle. They took over your whole life. Um, marijuana. Marijuana is, is going to make most likely to not make you cheat on your diet and make you less motivated for hitting the gym. Some guys I've heard like to smoke before they lift weights. A lot of guys like to smoke before doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It feels like it slows time down and you concentrate more on the muscles and the workouts. Look, if, if, if I smoke a joint, the last place I want to go is a gym. You know, if you're going to do that, you should relax and go to bed. Don't add narcotics or add these things to your healthy lifestyle. You should make like a real clear distinction, like a real clear switch from what you're doing. You know, when you're going to the gym and you're doing these things that are good for you and from when you're cheating, you know, you shouldn't take narcotics or anything like that to, to work out. That's just not... You're blending two things together that ought not go together. If you're gonna indulge in some of these substances, it has to be a time that's far and away from, from your healthy lifestyle, because then you'll start to incorporate these things where you got smoke before you lift, smoke before you train, and some guys will even snort cocaine before they go in and lift or work out or have sex or some do some of these things where like, it's just the two lifestyles don't align well together. You should just. Be, be doing one thing or the other at a time and not, not mix them. I wouldn't advise that. So real quick on the weed thing, I, I go back to the beer example too. I mean, weed, you're smoking a weed. I mean, I don't understand what the big deal is. I've smoked, I've smoked it a couple of times. I mean, I, I don't really care. I don't need that shit in my life. I don't need to waste my money smoking a weed. I don't need to go to my garden, pick up some parsley out of my garden and smoke my, the parsley. I don't need to go, 
pick up some cilantro out of my garden and stuff the cilantro. So listen, guys, the bottom line is a lot of people who smoke weed, look, I don't have a problem with it. I think weed should be legal. I think it should be legalized. I think it's silly that people are sitting in jail right now for smoking weed. But at the same time, do you really need weed in your life? Like, do you need, do you need it? Are you addicted to it? Well, it's not addictive. I hear people say it's not addictive. Then stop, just stop smoking it if it's not addictive. So I, I don't I, like I don't I don't get it. Like I'm I'm lost on that one. It's one of those things you start doing. It's a habit. It's a habitual thing. You do it every day. It helps you go to sleep. It helps you do this. It helps you do that. And you get into the habit of using it, and you're wasting money using it. And I don't think there's no benefits to using it when it comes to fitness. Um, I dated a girl who smoked weed out of a pipe and she'd wake up in the middle of the night hacking. Um, it was just really sad. And, um, and she liked going to the gym. She liked doing cardio, but it was killing her. I mean, <laughs> she was having trouble. So I don't buy that. It doesn't affect your lungs. I mean, it's, you're smoking something into your body, but Hey. Yeah. One thing guys that a lot of people just don't want to accept when you smoke a joint of marijuana, you're going to get more tar in your lungs than if you smoked a cigarette, okay? Um, I think I read somewhere up to five times as much tar for every joint. Like you need to smoke five cigarettes with a filter because remember, the cigarettes have filters on them. Five of those cigarettes will equal to the tar in one joint. Now, marijuana hasn't been known to cause lung cancer just because marijuana does have some chemistry in it that is cancer fighting, that it inhibits cancer growth. So I guess you're kind of filling your lungs with, with I guess you could say you're filling your lungs with anti-cancer tar. And this is the reason marijuana is not recognized as a, as a cause of, of lung cancer, as far as I, I've been able to tell, but cigarettes are, a, are recognized as a cause of lung cancer. So, but don't fool yourself. You're still getting tar in your lungs. It's still going to take away from, from your cardio endurance. You know, it's, it's still going to hurt you uh, just smoking that joint because there, there's no filter in it. It's, it's going to burn the, the hairs in your lungs and it's going to get stuck in your lungs just the same way a tar well from a cigarette. And I just want to add to painkillers. Rick was talking about earlier. You have to be careful with these painkillers, not just because they're addictive as fuck, because they are addictive as fuck. But also because when you're taking a painkiller as a weightlifter, okay, what's going to happen is your brain is going to say, you know what, I'm not in pain anymore. And you're going to go to the gym and you're continue lifting weights and you're going to continue injuring yourself. So to me, it makes no sense. You're not curing your injury. You're just telling your brain, hey, I'm not injured. Do you guys see where I'm coming from? So that's the real, that's even bigger danger of all with a weightlifter if you're an athlete a professional athlete if you're brett Favre, okay who got his brain beat in as a quarterback in the nfl he had he you know he would take painkillers he would inject his ass with painkillers okay before a game he's making millions of dollars you are not making millions of dollars don't fuck your body up like that and those opiates they settle right in your bones so when you're trying to come off of them later on they're going to come right out of your bones man I've personally um, avoided opiate prescriptions in cases that I, I could have gotten them just because I know how dangerous they are. And getting off of them once you're on opiates, man, you know, your bones hurt. You're going to go through bone pain like you've never had in your life trying to get off that stuff.
So they're very, very dangerous, uh, not something to play with. And all of those pharmaceutical companies that created all those opiates and distributed them to our society and, and caused this epidemic that's going on out there now, uh, they're now being brought into court and uh, are now being made to pay a portion of the damage they made. So opiates is definitely not something to play with. It's, it's one of the drugs that scares me the most. When I worry about my kids and, and their future and, and where this world's headed to, I worry about opiates. I worry about these hardcore drugs out there that now people can get from their doctors, from their dentist. Your dentist can prescribe you opiates if he, you know, takes a stitch or two in your gums for whatever reason. So very dangerous, very hard to look out for. And if, you, if you're battling addiction, if you're battling one of these problems, it's just getting help is the main thing. You, you got to go get help. It's very hard to, to quit this stuff on your own. So like a lot of you younger guys listening to this, guys, the best way to not get addicted to this shit is don't mess with it. Just say no. And includes your, if you go to, like Rick said, their dentist. It's funny because I go to a dentist for a root canal and he hands me like four different prescriptions and I throw them all in the trash. I don't need any of that shit. You guys got to learn to say no to this stuff. I got offered drugs when I was in high school, behind my high school. Some, some uh, guy, some drug addict came up to me that I went to school with. He offered me drugs. I told him no. And he looked at me like, wow, how dare you? I don't need that shit. Don't be a follower. Be a leader in life. And that, that's the best way to avoid getting addicted to this shit. All right, just because, you're, and just because you're in your 30s out there, don't think that you're immune to it. Just because you're in your 30s or 40s and you think you can, you'll never get hooked, don't fuck with it. There are, there are a ton of men on the street right now just looking for a fix because they were business owners. They were successful in some degree. They were high and mighty making some decent money and started partying and started letting that shit into their life. And now they're out on the street. So we're not just talking to the kids out there, guys. You can be, you know, a business owner in your 40s and, you know, hurt your ankle or hurt your back a little bit, training or whatever, get a prescription. Guess what? Your life is over at that point. You can, you know, be again, be a guy in your 40s, 30s, late 30s, divorce your old lady, start messing with some young girl that likes to do uh, cocaine or E or something and, and mess yourself up. It happens a lot. You're not immune to it. It doesn't matter what age you are. And, yeah, and, a, lot of, and a lot of successful men uh, tend to indulge in, in a lot of these narcotics thinking, you know, it's like a, a way to relieve stress and whatnot. No, man. It doesn't matter what age you are. You're not immune to this. You can't become addicted and throw your whole life away. Even if you've maintained good discipline and just done all the right things into your 40s, 50s, you can get addicted to this stuff and your whole life will go down the drain real quickly. And it's not just socioeconomical status. It's not just the going downtown and, and going to some you know, crackhead that's in the street begging for money. It's in the suburbs now. I mean, there's, there's heroin in the suburbs. That's a big, big deal now. There's painkillers, opiates in the suburbs. That's the big fix now for these kids. Yep. They're doctors that are going to jail now because they turned their whole communities into drug addicts. It's so, going to be something that society is going to be dealing with for, for many, many, many years to come. All right, guys. So um, on that, let's go to another topic here. Genetic potential 
This guy, he wants to know that he wants to use steroids. He's been talking to people on forums and people, some people have mentioned that he should hit his genetic potential before using steroids. He wants to know, is this true? What does it mean? Or is it just bro science? Um, Rick, um, you've been around the forums a long time. I remember back in the old days, a lot of guys would talk about genetic potential. So what, is, what do you think the definition of genetic potential is? when people on forums keep mentioning it, and do you think that there is such thing as hitting your genetic potential? Yeah, absolutely. I think most guys that are training consistently, switching up their training, switching up their diet, you're gonna reach a plateau at around five to six years into your training, maybe seven if you've got good genetics. And what I mean by, by plateau is just a plateau in muscle growth. A genetic plateau where your body just doesn't want to get any bigger. If, if you're working on athleticism, you may be able to get stronger and faster all the way through you peaking in performance in your mid-30s and then, and then uh, going back down in performance into your 40s, which most guys are able to do, depending on the sport, right? But when it comes to reaching your genetic potential for bodybuilding, five to six years, maybe seven of just natural training, where you're working diet, working everything is, is when you're going to reach it. And you shouldn't use steroids until that point. It's my true belief. If I can tell everybody out there, don't use steroids until you've absolutely completely reached your genetic potential. When you've had five years of continuous training, it's not five years of like taking three and four months off per year. No, it's five years where you're maybe taking two weeks off per year. If that combined. You know, if you're taking weeks off, it is my belief. And this is what I've seen in myself and other folks I've worked with. If you reach your genetic potential, your first cycle is probably going to put a, a good 10, maybe 15 pounds of solid mass on you. That'll stay in your frame. Even after you get off the steroids, providing you recover and your testicles are making enough testosterone. As long as you recover, you should be able to keep it on. Your second cycle, you might have, again, five to 10 pounds from that one that you'll get to keep on. And then your third cycle, you might get a couple of pounds here and there that you'll get to keep on. If you reach your genetic potential, your first three cycles should deliver a good, maybe on average, 20 to 30 pounds of solid muscle that you should be able to keep long-term, even if you never touch steroids again. If you don't reach your genetic potential before you do that, you're going to find that the steroids are going to blow you up, puff you up. And then when you get off of them, you're going to lose all of it. And then you'll have a real hard time making natural gains. Listen, guys, if you use steroids, it'll be really tough to make natural gains for a couple of years after. It'll take a while for you to be able to, again, just make really good natural gains once you take what you get off the steroids. If you didn't push your muscles to develop and to mature enough before you add these synthetic androgens on. So guys, I, I use this example a lot on the forums, but I kind of want to tell you guys a little story. The guy who won the Mr. Olympia last year was Sean Roden. Does anyone know how old Sean Roden is? He's 43 years old. Now, do you know when he started lifting bodybuilding? 17 as a teenager. So it took him 27 years of bodybuilding to finally win Mr. Olympia, which is his peak. That's as high as you can go. Winning Mr. Olympia is the highest you go. So if it took him 27 years of bodybuilding, using a ton of steroids, 
best coaches, best diet, best workouts, everything. Imagine you. So this is a lot. I, I just want to be clear, guys. I'm, I'm taking what Rick said and building on it in that this is a lifetime. This is a marathon of, of reaching the peak of your career. Now, some of you are going to end up with injuries. You're going to have to dial it back a notch. You may peak with your strength in your early 30s, mid 30s. I know I did. I, I don't lift super heavy anymore. Um, I think I was probably 33, 34, maybe 35 when I hit my um, strength PRs. And I, will pr I may never hit those strength PRs again. But that's my own fault because I pushed myself so hard that I got injured. So I had to take a step back. So you have to remember that, you know, this is a long-term thing, guys. And you're not going to just keep improving on a trajectory. So take your time a little bit on this stuff, guys. Um, you know, just hopping on steroids after training for six months or a year, I, I just it just doesn't make any sense because, like I said, if Sean Roden, who has amazing genetics, went 27 years of – he probably started using steroids when he was a teenager, and it took him 27 years to finally reach his peak, then why would you need to use steroids right away? It's not going to make much of a difference. If Sean Roden would have waited 10 years before he started using steroids, he probably still would have won Mr. Olympia because it, it just, it took him a long time, guys. It's, this is a marathon. You can only build so much muscle on your frame a year. I always, I always tell people you can only build one to two pounds of lean muscle tissue per year doing this. And a lot of people laugh at that. They think it's silly. They think I'm an idiot. They're like, no, I can gain 20 pounds of muscle on a cycle. I say no. I'm talking about actual lean muscle tissue. It takes a long time. There's homeostasis as well. Homeostasis is going to continue to fight you your whole life. Your body is going to want to continue to shed that muscle. It doesn't want to build the muscle. So this is you really have to take a long-term approach to this or you're going to just drive yourself fucking crazy. If you think that you can just weight train for a couple years and be like, well, I hit my genetic potential and then me hop on steroids, it's not going to work like that. Anything else, Fabric? Nothing. We pretty much covered it, man. Look, at, at the core of it all is you want to have, you want to give yourself five years to learn how to train, learn how your body responds to different diets, different training programs, different protocols. You, you know, learn, just learning good technique. It takes a while just to have good technique to, to strengthen all the stabilizing muscles so that you can do some of the more complex work. It takes a while. So give yourself that time and enjoy the process. Look, when you start training, right, you see a different guy in the mirror every, every week, every two weeks. If you keep training and you stay steady at it and you work your diet, the changes come on so quickly and they continue going on for years that, you know, you shouldn't jump on steroids so quickly. Just give your, your body time to train. I mean, you'll see it. If you stay consistent in the gym, run a good diet, Different guy in the, in the mirror every week. Different guy. And once you reach that plateau, once it's just hard to, to gain more mass, once it's hard to do anymore, that's when you want to look into, into steroids, into taking that next level. Once And eventually the steroids are not going to be enough. And then, you wanna, then you're going to end up looking into peptides and growth hormones. And if you're a really top-level guy, maybe that stuff won't, won't keep you competitive anymore, and then you got to start messing with insulin and, and other things. But 
you have a lot of steps to go. So start off naturally, see where your body can get to naturally. Give yourself five, seven years. Five years is good. Seven years would be ideal. Just hard, natural training before you, you, you hop on anything. And, and even use some of the counter stuff, some of this plant-based uh, ex extracts and things that are available over the counter in the market. Some testosterone boosters, protein, you know, work all that stuff. Once you've been training for a couple of years and it's a lifestyle, then you could add some over-the-counter supplements for a couple of years. Then once you, you've exceeded everything you can do with over-the-counter stuff that's pretty healthy, then you can go into the black market and take a chance at some of these, uh, some of these stronger compounds that are harder to work with. Yeah, two I can recommend uh, that are natural and two generate and creatine are very, very good. And they're, they're not expensive at all. You can add those. All right, guys, so we're speeding along here. The next one is keeping kids healthy on holidays like Halloween, where there's an abundance of chocolate and candy available to them. Um, so, you know, I've always struggled with this because kids come and knock on the door every Halloween. Um, that's kind of a custom in the United States. I don't know if it's that way in other countries, but we have that. So I've always wondered, you know, what I should be giving the kids myself. And then number two, if you do have kids, do you let your kids go and get candy and chocolate and all the stuff that rots their teeth and that's not good for them? Or do you let them have a good time? I remember when I was a kid, I used to love Halloween. I used to go and get all this, you know, chocolate and candy. It was fun. It was kind of a fun thing. Um, so, you know, Rick, I'll let you in on this one. What's your opinion on this? Well, when it comes to my kids, right? I know how bad sugar is. You and I have discussed it here many times. And basically the way culture goes everywhere is, what do you give kids? Candy. What do the kids love? Candy. So we're kind of just training children since they're very young to have this very addictive substance in their lives from very, very early on. How do I deal with that in my kids? Um, I do not prohibit my kids from having some candy. I don't let them overdo it, just like I wouldn't let them overdo anything, right? I wouldn't even let them drink too much water, right? You, you want to not let your kids overdo anything. So I don't like them eating candy. I actually don't approve of it, but I don't make it a rule and keep it away from them. The reason is because they're just going to want it more and because other kids' parents allow them to have it. So the way I deal with it is, I talk to them openly about the dangers of sugar. Yeah, it's, young, it's youngest four or five, as soon as I start to have conversations with them. As soon as he's old enough to have a conversation, I start talking to him about the important things. And one of those is just how bad sugar is for you, how it rots your teeth, how you know, it makes you fat, all these things. I tell them these, and they could still have some. You could have it. But here's why daddy doesn't ever have any candy. This is why you never have, you never see daddy eating any cake or any of this stuff. It's because it's not healthy, but you could have some, but it's not healthy in this and this way. And I go into diabetes. I go into all these things with them when they're very, very young. You think they don't understand. They actually understand a lot more than you think they do. But I also don't want to keep it away from them because then It'll make them want it more. It'll make them feel kind of frustrated. It'll, they'll be a weird kid. Unfortunately, it's just normality for children to eat candy. So they'll be the weird kid if they're not allowed to have some. And it'll just be something in their mind. When I know that cravings for candy or the one of candy can diminish if you just think about candy is what it is. You know, it's something that's kind of hurting you. So that's, so that's what I do. I try to kind of manipulate their thinking about candy by telling them all the bad things 
it does and and maybe even exaggerate a little bit but there's still a lot to have some within reason you know with but the do they go trick-or-treating on Halloween? Yeah. And if so, don't they come back with a bag of candy? So what do you do in that situation? They're not allowed to, they're not allowed to eat all of it. Most of that candy is going to be given away to other kids. You know, okay. well, I mean, they know when we go out, it's like, listen, the idea is to just like bring back a lot of candy. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get to eat all of it. You're not. And, you know, they have their candy and it's and it's put away and then – It'll take them three months to, to even get through the portion that they are allowed to eat. Because a lot of stuff, they're just not allowed to eat. You know, so you just, the, the, I guess the best way to deal with it is like you just, in front of your kids, you got to shit talk sugar and shit talk candy and sweets and not indulge in them yourself, but also let them be kids and have it. Because yeah. unfortunately- do you think, do you think do you do, like scare them into thinking if you if you eat too much sugar you're gonna rot your teeth? You eat too much sugar, you're gonna have to go to the dentist and get root canals, and he's gonna have to give you an injection to numb you. And do you scare them into not liking it, or do you kind of more educate them? It's true. I'm not. It's not a scary story. What you just said, it's true. I make them brush their teeth after they have candy, because it that candy is gonna give you you know, cavities is going to increase your, your chance of you getting cavities. You give a kid a chocolate bar, some of that sugar gets stuck in between their teeth. I mean, you got to make them go brush their teeth right away. So yeah, I tell them it rots their teeth and makes them chunky. They know it. So, so last year, so last year for Halloween, this is what I did. I had a bag of candy, um, some actually it was some fruit based lollipops. Okay. Yes. It had some agave syrup or, you know, natural king sugar or some shit. It was still, it's still not good, but it was better than the other crap. And I had another thing of, uh, football and baseball cards. So I would ask the kids, which, what do you guys want? You want the cards or do you want the lollipops? And believe it or not, like 90% of the kids said they want the cards. So that's, that's kind of funny. Um, because kids want something different. I think kids themselves are just sick of all the candy, you know? So that, that worked for me last year. I think I'll do that again. And some of these cards I was giving them, by the way, those cards were fucking expensive, by the way. They weren't some cheap-ass cards like for a penny. Some of those cards were worth some money. So if they're smart, they would hold on to those cards and sell them for a lot of money one day. It's actually a great idea, Steve. Give them an option. Instead of candy, give them something else, something that could – stimulate their mind somehow playing cards you know for what sport were they what would you say the baseball cards yeah like football and baseball cards yeah yeah that's that's good i mean that's i would give them an option yeah because i mean if you the kids come to a door and you show up at the door with fruit not a lot of kids would be happy but you can wrap bananas and and some grapes and and some wrap you know and something and give them fruit instead of uh instead of sweets or give them some kind of uh so a fruit that's covered, that has skin, not like a fruit that's like exposed. Because then the parents will think you're poisoning my kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't get them an apple, you know? Rapper, man, you can saran wrap, uh, um, you can saran wrap bananas and, and different fruit yeah. you want, man, and toss it in there for them. Yep. All right, guys. Look, we appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. If you have any questions for Q&A, please send them. Steve, SMI on the forums. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one, Rick. Hey, have a good one, guys. Have a good one, Steve. See you later.
Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program.